You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I know a lot of people want to use water efficient fixtures, but they're afraid they won't work as well. Let me tell you about High Sierra Showerheads, which was named Best Showerhead by Popular Science. I just installed one at my house and I was genuinely surprised at the power and coverage of the water. High Sierra Showerheads earn the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency. They use at least 40% less water than the conventional low flow showerheads. High Sierra showerheads are constructed out of metal, so there's no plastic involved, they're very durable, and they're naturally antibacterial. One of my favorite things, these showerheads are made in the USA by a small business located in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Get 20% off with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Joined for this episode by another Travis, Travis Thompson with Denver Water. How's it going? Going great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, glad you could come on here. I'm excited to talk about uh, lead lines and drinking water uh, in Denver and kind of your approach to this issue, uh, which continues to be an issue here in 2020 across the country, a real legacy issue for so many water systems. Um, I wanted to come talk to you guys because you've kind of developed a new program to tackle lead uh, that a lot of people are excited about, you know, in that area, but also around the country. Um, but before we kind of dive into that new program, what's the what's the history of lead lines and and drinking water in Denver, particularly over the past decade? I know that there's a lot of backstory that kind of led to this program. Sure. So I'll, I'll just actually go ahead and uh, back up a little further. So Denver Water, we are actually uh, Colorado's oldest and largest uh, water utility, established in 1918. Um, but a lot of that system was actually uh, adopted from previous water providers who um, originally kind of set up the lines in the city. So we have a pretty old system throughout uh, the Denver area because of that. Uh, we're very fortunate, though. Our source water comes from the Rocky Mountains, right? You know, it <laughs> doesn't good. get better than that. So we're very fortunate. We have a great source water here in the Denver metro area. Um, and we actually uh, serve outside of the city of Denver. We actually, about 1.5 million people, which is a quarter of the state's population. And we do that with less than 2% of the water used in the state. Of course, we're in the dry, arid west. Um, so water efficiency and conservation is a big thing here. Half of our supply comes from the Colorado River and um, a very stressed resource that's a valuable resource for uh, many states out here in the West and even Mexico. So that's a little bit of history about Denver water. And then, you know, while we even though we have this pristine water source and there's no lead in the water that we're delivering to our customers or within Denver water system, even um, there's still risk for some customers throughout our service area. And that's because lead really was a, a, a easy resource. It was cheap. It was pliable, um, especially when making smaller pipes that were used in a lot of cases for service lines. Um, now, each city um, kind of has a different arrangement with who owns what within the system. But here in Denver, Denver Water actually doesn't own any of the service line. So the water we deliver up to the point that that line connects into our system is lead-free. But now there could be some risk 
once it enters that service line and goes into the plumbing inside of the home or even some of the fixtures of lead entering the water there. Um, so big challenge for us over the last decade as we've learned more about potential risks and the fact that there could be um, you know, these lines throughout our system is since we don't own them, we didn't install them, we didn't have really good record keeping of where they are who was using them, what might have been replaced along the line. So, you know, just like with everything else, we've been learning a ton, um, you know, almost daily as, you know, over the last decade and then even more recently as we've embarked upon our lead reduction program. Well, that, that issue with the records as to where lead lines are seems to be a big challenge for, for so many systems because they were kind of put in a long time ago and uh, just, just those records weren't developed to really or, or, or maintained properly and cer- exactly. certainly not put together, put on a digital platform <laughs> like, like we're used to these days. Right. <laughs> um, Cool. Well, so one of the things that jumped out at me was uh, was around orthophosphate, and this is something that I've always heard is is pretty commonly used as a way to prevent corrosion of lead pipes. Right to keep that keep that lead in the pipe, if you will, keep it out of the water. Um, why why wasn't that used historically there in the Denver area? Yeah. So um, just can. Continuing with the history, I'll I'll back up a little bit. So the lead and copper rule um, is something that Denver and most major cities across the nation have been following for the past 30 years. And as part of the rule, what we're actually doing is we are testing homes that we know have lead lines inside them. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're testing to see what those lead levels are at. So as part of our routine testing in 2012, we had what was called an exceedance, and um, there's this 90th percentile formula. It kind of gets complex, but uh, more or less, say you do 10 different uh, tests, wherever that 90th, that ninth line is, whatever that number is and above is your 90th percentile. And if your 90th percentile, if your testing is over 15 parts per billion, what it indicates is that as a utility, you need to look and see if you can better optimize your corrosion control. Mm. So in our 30-year history in 2012, we had that blip over that 15 parts per billion. And what that did was it it put a whole sequence of things into place. Um, We started doing desktop studies. We started doing pipe loop studies. We actually went to homes throughout our service area that we knew had lead lines, harvested these lines, actually pulled them out of the ground, did not disrupt them, put them at a couple of our different treatment plants and started running different treatment processes through it to see, you know, different corrosion control processes through it to see what we can do to try to help optimize the corrosion control of our water system. Because once again, as a water utility, we're talking about how do we help um, a part of our infrastructure that we don't own or maintain or Mm -hmm. even know about. So this is really historically really the, the only impact you can have as a utility. And um, in fact, in back in even 1994, we had increased our pH, which helps optimize the corrosion control um, even. And so we've, we've, there's different techniques you can do. And so orthophosphate is one of those that's used throughout the, the country. And it's actually one that we put through our pipe loop study, along with increasing the pH and doing some other things. Um, and the, the study actually came back and showed to us that Orthophosphate is, does a great job at reducing uh, or at corrosion control, and pH does as well. Hmm. 
orthophosphate actually did come back a little bit better than the pH on the numbers as far as what it did for the reduction. But, you know, we don't want to make a water chemistry change without knowing the complete impacts, not only on our system, but others who could be connected to us. Mm. Um, so we did additional studies as well and additional research and worked with other stakeholders. And while orthophosphate does well in some uh, areas back east, the challenge here is it's a nutrient that you're adding to your water supply. Our, our wastewater partners, Metro Wastewater here in the Denver metro area, they're already spending a lot of money to remove those nutrients before they put it back into uh, the environment. And of course, you know, 50% of our water actually goes to outdoor irrigation. So that means through runoff, then this added nutrient is going to be making its way into the rivers and streams. And there's a lot of risk for algae bloom with it and all these. So we started factoring in all of these um, items as well. Because of that, we we really wanted to push for pH. Okay. Um, but the, re the regulators are very clear on whatever the optimized corrosion control that you can put into the system through this is what, you know, is ultimately going to be the order. Mm. And that's when we thought, you know, let's get creative. Can we take this a step further? Can we do better? You know, ultimately, we're a public health entity. We provide the most vital resource there is for our community. Um, we don't have to stop short just at our treatment plants. And even though we don't necessarily own these other lines, it's a community problem that's ultimately impacting our customers. So we, we got creative and we started working with partners and, you know, the, the gotten the support of all of those within the region, local officials, other regulators, those who could be impacted by orthophosphate. And we ended up developing what we call the lead reduction program and even working close with EPA and uh, our public health department here in Colorado um, to make sure that we, we can really find a more holistic solution hmm. to this problem even though we weren't in violation and we didn't need, you know, we weren't being asked to go above and beyond. We thought, you know what, why keep dealing with it with these little, you know, almost a kind of a band-aid approach when we can just go in and take care of it. Yeah. Before we dive into the plan itself, um, what, what pH level ended up being, you know, optimum for, for corrosion control? That's just a, a water geek question <laughs> that I have. Yeah. So I had mentioned we had raised it once before in the early nineties. So we were already at the, uh, 7.8. Okay. Now in March, as part of the program, we have bumped that up to 8.8. Wow. Um, so our pH levels at in that range right now. Okay. And then when, you know, you did have kind of the exceedance uh, with lead issues, um, how much public concern broke out around that, you know, and as, as when that happened and then maybe the years afterward, as you were still kind of figuring out how to, how to deal with, you know, how to optimize corrosion control and stuff like that. I mean, was there, was there a lot of attention on this in the community among your customers? Sure. So in, in 2012, um, when we had the exceedance, we launched our, our largest public health campaign ever. Mm. Um, we actually, you know, we have relationships with our customers because of billing. So we put things in the billing, but we went a step further and we actually purchased um, so that purchased lists so that we can even get a step further. So if there was multiple families living in a home or multiple um, addresses at a multiplex, we were actually sending information directly to those people. And, you know, really that kicked off what ended up being, um, you know, a, a continual evolution of 
programming and addressing this issue even before the lead reduction program was put into place. Um, so, you know, at first there wasn't a whole lot of attention to it um, as far as, I guess, the, the public response. But we continued to push. We continued to try to communicate. And most importantly, we, we continued to develop more programs to better educate and help our customers who are at risk. So you remember at this point, we still didn't have the approval to actually go in and you know do much outside of our system. But what we, we did start doing in, in 2015 is doing free lead testing for our customers, um, where we would send them a sample box. They could follow the instructions, no cost to them. Uh, fill up three bottles after, you know, water's been sitting in the lines overnight. Don't run it. Fill up these three bottles. The first one you would collect would more or less indicate, does your faucet potentially have lead? Leave that water running. The next bottle, you put it underneath there, close it up. That would more or less represent the pipes within the home to see if you have any lead risks within the plumbing inside your home. And then the third one would be pulling most likely from that service line as that water's been sitting there. So then send it back. And so we can provide that education. And what it was also doing was helping us build our inventory mm. and filling a database where we were learning. Um, okay. So we're noticing all the homes before 1951 or a lot of these homes before 1951 are coming back with, you know, lead in their service lines. Mm. We also, um, had started doing lead line replacements when we came across it during construction. Um, so routine maintenance, an emergency repair, a pipe replacement project, whatever that might be, if we came across the lead line, at that point, we would uh, start replacing the line. But we would get between that as well as um, just some policy things. Uh, someone's doing a scrape off or there's a new developer making sure that they had to replace any older lines or lead lines as well. Mm-hmm. Through that, we were getting about 1,200 lead lines replaced a year. Wow. We estimate there's about sixty four to eighty four thousand in our service area, so we were on pace for a fifty to sixty year <laughs> removal if we were going to continue at that rate. All right, so this kind of all ended up leading to your to the new program. Um, I guess tell me what this program looks like. Yeah, so um, it's really exciting. There's multiple parts to it. Um, the the crux of it is to get rid of the biggest source of lead exposure to water, and that's the the, the lead service lines. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's some other risks, um, but we said, you know, in addition to doing the work to remove them as we come across them, we're going to develop an aggressive program where we will actually remove all of these lines that estimate sixty four to eighty four thousand in the next 15 years. Um, so that's the big part of the program. Now, of course, there's a lot of other elements to it. 15 years, you know, while it sounds better than 60, you know, if you're on that list, mm. that's a long ways away. Mm. Um, so, of course, we implemented the pH um, increase, which is obviously what the pH increase does. Not only does it reduce the corrosion, and um, I always use the example of, you know, if you leave some gardening tools or a rake outside, it rains, you know that water is going to eventually corrode it, kind of create some rust on it. Same thing could happen inside the pipes. But it also strengthens this protective coating that builds up over time and helps kind of create that buffer between mm-hmm. that lead pipe and the water running through it. So that's protecting our customers first and foremost. Then we also um, are in the middle of a huge distribution right now of more than 100,000 water pitchers with filters certified to remove lead. And it's going to every home that we either know 
has a lead service line or if we think or suspect that it has a lead service line. And we will continue to provide replacement filters to these homes until we can get to that, uh, that property, verify if it has a lead line, and if it does, remove it, and then we'll continue to provide that replacement filter until six months afterwards just to confirm and verify that we did, in fact, remove the risk from that customer's property. And then, of course, you know, we're continuing to build on our inventory, which is a big part of it. We've created some great public outreach opportunities, which is huge component is the education and outreach side. So we have a, a map on our website, denverwater.org slash lead, where customers can actually go plug in their um, address and it'll indicate whether we think that they have one, a lead line, if they don't. If we know that they don't or if they do, um, we're doing a ton of virtual meetings throughout our community and really just doing a full-on campaign to get the word out, make sure people are using the filters if they're part of the program until we can get there and get it replaced. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's amazing. 64,000 to 80,000 lines, you said you estimate you have. and you're, Yeah, 64 to 84,000. Okay, 64 yeah. to 84,000. And, and looking at turning those all over within 15 years. Um, I, can, I don't think I can get to my calculator fast enough, but that's uh, a lot per year, right? Uh, yeah. 4,000 a year, 4,500? Yeah, 45. We're, we're aiming for that 4,500 mark a year. Wow. So. I mean, that's a huge investment, financial investment for you guys. Mm -hmm. um, we hear a lot about how utilities have tight budgets, right? You've got all this infrastructure you got to uh, upgrade and maintain, and uh, you don't want to raise rates too much. You got that, that squeeze on. Um, how's the funding of, uh, for that scale of a project working? Sure. So, yeah, um, just first of all, for some perspective, you know, we have a very aggressive um, – very aggressive approach to our our infrastructure here in uh, at Denver Water and our capital programming is a 1.5 billion dollars over the next five years. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit of perspective, the lead program we're estimating 500 million over that 15 year program. So it's a significant number um, that will be factored in just like the rest of our major projects, whether it's a, a water tank replacement or a pipe replacement program or work on any of our dams. Um, so, and so, yeah, so you can know, I get, I, I want to clarify 500 million. Is that what you said? Yeah. Wow. And that's, that's still a pretty early estimate. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot to it. A lot of unknowns. This all unfolded really quickly and rapidly. Uh -huh. Um, that's incredible. You know, we though. just got the approval in December. Yeah. So the the interesting thing, um, you know, we we talked about orthophosphate, and that was actually going to be what we were going to be mandated to do based off of the um, lead and copper rule and the the order from EPA and CDPHE. We actually estimate that the regional cost. So when it just Denver Water's cost would have been less, but the regional cost based off of wastewater bills and other things that would come into our customers that our customers would have ended up paying more mm -hmm. if we implemented orthophosphate because of all of the ripple effects associated with that. Mm -hmm. So this program, while it's expensive and it does a lot, ultimately ends up being cheaper than what the other solution could have been in this situation. Yeah. And as you mentioned and stressed, you, you view yourselves as a public health agency, right? And lead is is a real problem for people especially those young young kids right and so uh it, it's tough to put a cost on the value of getting lead out of people's drinking water i mean it's a it, it's a great yeah. investment right 
Um, exactly. And, and ultimately cost wasn't the deciding factor, you know, finding the best approach for the community was what drove all of the decisions for us. Now, of course we have to be mindful of ratepayer money, mm-hmm. um, be that responsible steward. And, and we're continuing to do that, you know, and, that goes to a much larger um, discussion and way we, we handle our business and making sure, you know, we're AAA rated, we've got good bonds, we're doing all the other things, you know, we're, we're selling hydropower and making money back and being responsible across the board mm-hmm. gives us more flexibility to when we have a crisis like this or an issue like this, that we can actually address it head on and not have to worry as much on the money side. Sure. Um, so, you know, there will be a, an impact to customer bills from it but we expect it to be very minimal and when you like you said when you take in the consideration of what it's for it really becomes a no-brainer yeah no doubt um as i mentioned in the beginning you know there's a lot of of people pointing to denver water for this program um why why is that why do you think it's viewed as unique and unprecedented is it really that just scale of of investment and commitment to just going after that many pipes or what why do you think all the attention's paid yeah, you know, I, I think it's a, it, there's a few things at hand. I mean, one, we weren't in violation. Yeah. Um, we had to optimize our corrosion control, but we weren't under any mandate or requirement to do anything more. So I think it was, you know, our leadership taking that step back and saying, you know what, we don't have to go this far. The easy thing would have been implement the ortho figure out how to handle it downstream, work with those partners. Um, We knew it wasn't ideal, but we definitely could have made it happen. It would have worked. It would have helped reduce some of the lead levels throughout our community. Um, But I think it's just, you know, being able to say, you know what, let's kind of push the limits a little bit. Let's, let's try something new. And, you know, it's, it was a great opportunity to really partner with regulators Mm -hmm. to find a, a solution that, you know, that they, they could support um, and get behind. And so it was a lot of work with them, learning from all the other water utilities. You know, others have replaced lead lines throughout their communities for various reasons. Others have had to make these adjustments. Um, so, you know, it's just a, a really good collective program and partnership at also, like you said, at an extremely large scale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to follow up on kind of public education and and public response. Um, you know, what's what's now the the public education uh, you know trajectory for the next fifteen years? It sounds like this is a just a a huge focus for you guys in continuing to talk to people. For sure, and you know, equity work is very important. So, you know, we're, we're using a lot of data that we're pulling from our partners, local city governments on, you know, whether it's you know, low income areas, we want to make sure that, you know, we, we are equally spreading out this, getting to people in a, in a priority that makes sense, finding the most vulnerable populations. And, you know, that's tough to do. There's a lot of data out there mm-hmm. that you got to start pulling into these databases. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at areas if they have a lot of daycares and schools, you know, the most vulnerable population to to uh, lead issues is that younger, you know, five and younger with the development or where there might be a lot of um, if there's going to be a large pregnant uh, area, something like that. So we're trying to factor that in. Um, also looking at all the different socioeconomic conditions in areas to make sure that we're balancing out. Um, translation's a big thing. We ran a lot of studies and worked with a lot of partners. We found out that 95.5% 
of the the Denver area is either English or Spanish. Mm. So everything we're developing is in both English and Spanish, but there's still additional languages. So, you know, we're, we're pulling in other community partners and cultural groups to help us get the word out in ways that you're going to a resonate um, with those different languages and different cultures, meeting them where they are um, finding those trusted sources in those communities to, because you know, the most important thing for us uh, until we can get to these homes is that people are using these pictures and filters and that they truly understand where they might be at risk and what they can do to protect themselves. So, you know, we're, we're full steam ahead. We're throwing everything at it. But one of the major components is also this learning by doing and knowing that we don't know, have all the answers and we're just going to get better at this as we move forward. We find a new partner that says, Hey, have you checked out with this source? Because they know about, Hmm. you know, this other group over here that might be of interest to you and pick up the phone, call them, start working with them. And, you know, as time goes on, we're just going to get better and better and make sure that um, everybody has the message. Everybody understands what's going on and how they can protect themselves and their families. Yeah. And, and what's the response from your customers and ratepayers to this major plan, this big, this big investment? Yeah. So it's interesting you say that because we're doing these virtual meetings right now. And it's fascinating because of course we had all of these community meetings planned where we were going to go into these areas and COVID hit, we've got the social distancing and it's actually been a good thing for the program because the virtual meetings, more people are in attendance than I think we would be seeing otherwise. Um, So every Tuesday and Thursday um, for the past couple of weeks and through the rest of July, um, we've been doing these virtual community meetings. We're really aggressive in our approach to making sure that those who we've hit first, as far as giving them their water filters and pitchers, we're actually then calling them and inviting them to this meeting and even calling them again as the meeting starts and saying, just a reminder, meeting just started. So because of that, we're getting five, 600, one phone call even had over a thousand people on it. Um, and in it, we're actually doing some polling just to hear, are you guys, how aware are you of the program? Are you using your filter? And so far, the response has been phenomenal from our community. Uh, overwhelmingly, you know, people are getting the information, they're understanding. The number one question, though, is when are you going to get to my house? <laughs> and so that's that's our biggest challenge right now. Um, you know, and we're only able, especially in this infancy of this program, that we're literally just rolling out. I mean, we've got this year selected, and we use the best information we could, and we're spreading it out because, you know, it's a it's construction work. It's it's invasive. It's disruptive. So you can't you know just go find them. Two square mile radius and just knock them all out real quick. It takes, you know, you got to get homeowner consent and it's got to be a time when they're home and you got to get other projects going on in the city coordinated with that and all these different factors. So, um, unfortunately, that's not a question we can necessarily provide a really, yeah. And I guess we, I think we provide a decent answer, but I understand (laughs) if I was on the other end of it, I'm like, no, I want to know when my house is going to be replaced. So, um, but besides that, people seem to get it. Um, we're hearing that people are using their filters and their pictures. You know, it's not ideal by any means, but more more times than not, people are very appreciative. I think just of the approach once they fully understand the background and 
that this is being done to ultimately help them. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal. Well, I will, uh, I will call you back in about 15 years and, uh, you'll tell me that it's all all done (laughs) and everything went well, but, um, sounds awesome. Right. Right. Look forward to that moment. Um, uh, Travis, thank you so much for the time and for sharing what you guys are doing there at Denver water to tackle lead. Um, and I, uh, I definitely look forward to sharing this story with others. So thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity. We enjoy your work, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. The Waterloop podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code Waterloop for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop. <laughs>